Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is day 661 of our three-year journey through the Word of God. Luke chapter 10 is in front of us this morning. Coffee in the cup. A great quote from Albus Dumbledore from the Harry Potter books. Happiness can be found even in the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light. And of course, I always remember the light of the world is Jesus Christ. And so we turn to Jesus in the darkest of times and we find our true source of joy. Ah, good coffee this morning. All right, Luke chapter 10. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Father, thank you so much for this gospel of Luke. Thank you for Luke 10 and all that we have in store for us this morning as we go through this wonderful chapter. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and would write the word of God on our hearts and would lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 10. That's my dog running by if you heard something. Okay, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And I said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding 
and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now, As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That is Luke chapter 10, again a packed chapter here in Luke. And we begin with the sending out of the 72. Jesus had already sent out the 12 in chapter 9, and now he sends out 72 uh, disciples on a gospel mission of proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom. Uh, This shows us that there are many more followers of Jesus than just the twelve. The twelve were chosen to be closer to Jesus and to be given special instruction. And then among those twelve, the three, Peter, James, and John, were chosen uh, for even more uh, close intimacy with the Lord. But there are, you know, at the day of Pentecost, there's 150 or so believers gathered together in the upper room and here are 72 disciples and they get sent out and they're told to preach the gospel and they're told to go into whatever house welcomes them and notice that as they go preaching the gospel they bring with them 
real blessing, real kingdom blessings, and also real curses, real consequences. Um, yesterday morning, in our morning worship service at Forest Hill, we had a reading from the Heidelberg Catechism, and it talked about how it is that the preaching of the gospel is an exercise of the keys of the kingdom that opens the kingdom of heaven and that closes the kingdom of heaven. And this passage right here is a great demonstration of that truth. When they go and when they preach, the, the gospel is open. Peace be to this house. And the kingdom of God has come near to you and the sick are healed. This is for those who welcome the gospel. Those who welcome the gospel have the kingdom of God come near to them and receive this message of peace from God. And yet those who reject the gospel, those who refuse to hear it, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Not near to you, but it's come near. In other words, it's a closed door because of your hardness of heart. And Jesus says, I'll tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And he goes to pronounce woes on other cities. We have been given so much truth from God, so many clear demonstrations of that truth from God. Most people know who Jesus was. Most people know the basic facts of his life that he lived. He did many great miracles. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. He claimed to be the son of God. Uh, they know these things, and yet their hardness of heart causes them to reject God's message of peace through Jesus Christ. They won't make peace with God because they don't want to come into a kingdom where they don't reign as king. That's the bottom line of it. They'd rather sit on a petty little throne of their kingdom of self than to come into the kingdom of God and have peace with God in a kingdom where they don't reign. And so they think of every excuse of why they don't want to come in because Christians are hypocrites and because, you know, religion is a crutch and because, you know, God is a fairy tale and all this stuff that they actually know is not really true. Yes, Christians can be hypocrites. We're not perfect people. We are sinners and sometimes we give Christ a very bad name in the world by the way we behave ourselves. And that's true and that's lamentable. But here we had disciples sent out by Jesus and even Jesus himself. And most of the towns are still rejecting him because people would rather be the kings of their own lives, the captain of their own ship, even if it's a Titanic, than to have to get on board someone else's ship where they are not in control. The 72 come back and they rejoice because they're amazed that even the demons are subject to them. And Jesus' bottom line tells them that kind of spiritual power to have demons tremble when you speak to them in the name of Jesus, that is that is not the thing of eternal joy. The thing of eternal joy is that your names are written in heaven. In today's day, a lot of people want to see signs and wonders and amazing you know, things being done. But the greatest miracle of all is the gospel, which transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The greatest miracle of all is to have our name written in the Lamb's book of life and to have our lives changed by the grace of God. That is what we should be rejoicing in. And Jesus rejoices in this work. You see, he rejoices not in demons being cast out, as right as that is in its place, but here Jesus is saying, I rejoice. He rejoices in the Holy Spirit because God has revealed the truth about his son and about salvation to little children like us. 
people who are unimportant in the eyes of the world. We're not the power brokers. We're not the, the men of power. We're not the influencers. We're just ordinary people. And God has graciously revealed to us by his gracious will, he has revealed to us who the Father is and who the Son is and what salvation is. And so our eyes are blessed. Our eyes of faith are blessed that we see by faith who Jesus really is. And that ought to change the way we live our life. You know, a lot of things are misunderstood about the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is the next section in Luke 10 here. First of all, we misunderstand what is wrong with what the lawyer is asking. And it really is, in the beginning of verse 29, he desiring to justify himself. You see, he's coming to Jesus. He's saying, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, if you're asking what you should do, that's what the law is there for. If you want to get eternal life by doing, then do the law. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Go to it, and if you perfectly fulfill those commandments then you will deserve eternal life. The answer, of course, is that no one can, no one does. But he, desiring to justify himself, wanting to say, I earned it, I did it, I justified myself, right? Wanting to do that, he says, and who is my neighbor? So this whole story is really a rebuke against self-righteousness. Because this lawyer, this Jewish lawyer, would have been very much prejudiced against Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans had a bad relationship, and there was a lot of bad blood between them and a lot of history that would seemingly justify the prejudice that Jews had against Samaritans. There was mistreatment both ways for generation upon generation, going all the way back to the split of the kingdom under Rehoboam, son of Solomon, which would have been nearly a thousand years prior to this story here. There's a lot of deep history of bad blood between Jews and Samaritans. But the one who shows that they've been changed is the one who loves. Not the one who's trying to justify himself, but the one who shows mercy. You see, you can either be busy about the task of trying to justify yourself, or you can be busy about the calling of showing mercy. Showing mercy is the fruit of a changed heart. It's the fruit of one whose name is written in heaven. It's the fruit of one who's been transformed by the grace of God. Could be a Samaritan. Could be anyone. Because that's who God chooses to show himself to. And the final thing we have in Luke 10 is Mary and Martha. And this story, this wonderful story where Mary is doing the more needful thing. There's the things that seem like they need to be done. The tyranny of the urgent. I read a little book on that years ago. Uh, the tyranny of the urgent. The things that feel like they need to be done right now can press in on us and can be so compelling as to sort of override all other things. And that's just not reality. Like, the more important things are still the more important things. Martin Luther used to say, I have so much to do today that I must spend the first three or four hours in prayer. Because he knew that before the urgent things pressed in on him, he needed to spend time with the Lord. So for us, Luke 10 is a, is a corrective. It's a corrective of what we kind of expect religion to be all about. Signs and wonders, 
demons submit to us in your name, right? Um, Self-justification, self-righteousness, right? Busyness, busy doing. Jesus says, no, none of that. It's about gospel proclamation and belief, which is by God's gracious will. It's about having our name written in heaven. It's about showing mercy to those who are in need. And it's about sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning. And none of this makes us great. It makes us greatly blessed. And that's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. Not about power, not about influence, not about self-righteousness, not about busyness. It's about gospel, faith, God's grace, having our names written in heaven, showing mercy to those who are in need, and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, tear us away from our preconceived notions of what religion is all about, and help us to see that we are called to believe the gospel and proclaim the gospel. We're called to rejoice that our names are written in heaven. We're called to show mercy to those who need mercy. We're called to sit at the foot of Jesus and learn from him every day. This is what it means to be a child of God, one whose life is transformed by grace. Help us to live as such people. Thank you for your grace in showing Jesus to us, in writing our names in heaven, and being gracious to us by your gracious will. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that is Luke chapter 10 tomorrow. We're going to go back to the book of Esther, picking up with Esther chapter 7 tomorrow. I hope you can join me for that, and I do hope you have a very blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.